Good morning. If you went to real life, I just apologize that you have to hear my voice again. You have heard my voice a lot. So I'm just, I commend you for being here, honestly. Um, but uh, it's, it was a great weekend, um, like we always say when we come back from these things. But um, it just part of the journey. I don't ever really understand exactly why the, the weekends are as powerful as they are. I really couldn't even put words to it to try to explain it. But um, it's just this powerful uh, experience of us to continue the process of our spiritual and our natural and our real transformation. So uh, that's what it's all about. Somebody said to me, your women here are, seem to be really honest about what's going on in their life. You know, and I was like, I think we've uh, fostered such a culture of honesty and realness and uh, outsiders notice, which is so cool because it's such a missing characteristic of women in general. But um, anyway, I can talk about that at the next real conference, so I don't need to talk about it here. So this message this morning is actually the culmination of the messages I um, spoke this weekend. But if you weren't here, it's okay. It's fine. This is standalone. And um, hopefully you will receive from what um, what I share this morning. But basically, um, this morning, I hope to um, share with you maybe one of the most unique or different messages you've heard in a religious setting about the meaning of life. So I'm going to talk about true meaning for your real life. Let's play real quick. God, thank you so much for being here with us. Be glorified in all that we do and say, and um, open our hearts and our minds and our ears to what you want to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I could not have preached this message, what I'm going to be talking about 10 years ago. I, I don't think I could have um, spoken about it maybe even five years ago because life changes us, and I'm not the same person as I was 10 years ago, 20 years 20 years ago, that sort of thing. And I don't think you guys are either, you know, because the circumstances in our life change us. When something happens to us, like something bad, for example, um, or good, but like if you lose your job, for example, that fundamentally changes you. Then you might be like insecure about losing your job, worried about money, or it's like you're different as a result of that thing happening. If you have, if you get divorced or you're, there's infidelity in a marriage or something like that, it's like that bad that experience can fundamentally change you um, in ways where it view it changes how you view the rest of your life. It could change how you view your friends' marriages. You might be like, man, you better ditch that man before he like crushes and ruins everything about you. Or um, it could make you more positive and encouraging. And I could sit here and say, I would like you to stop thinking about all those bad things that happened in your life and go back to what you were like in elementary school, you know. And um, but that's just not the way it is. And because those those things change us over the course of time. So think about how you have changed in your life. And even if you're young, even if you're like in, in middle school or high school, you still have changed. You know, from elementary school, you might have changed the way you dress. Your friends might have changed. You might have changed what subject you like in school. Your family might have changed because maybe, maybe your parents got divorced or something like that. So even when your little things change in your life um, that change you. But think about it in your life. Are you, from 10 years ago, are you more patient? Are you 
you a more bitter? Are you more skeptical about God's existence? Or are you more optimistic about God's existence and his ability to change you? Maybe um, you're you're less selfish. Maybe you're more selfish. Maybe you're you're more greedy. Maybe you're more generous. Who knows? But think about right now, just something from like 10 years ago to now. How, what's an area have you changed um, in your life? Maybe you used to talk a lot and now you're quiet or vice versa. That maybe you used to like um, McDonald's. Now you like Burger King or something like that. Okay, so anyway, but Jesus told this um, story in this passage, and this is the passage we were talking about all weekend. It's it, I love it because it talks about life, and it talks about the three components of areas in our life that are always going on at the same time. And we'll read it, and then I'll and then we'll talk about it. Jesus Jesus told the simple story: I am the gate for the sheep. All those others are up to no good, sheep stealers, every one of them. But the sheep didn't listen to them, and I am the gate. Anyone who goes through me will be cared for, will freely go in and out and find pasture. This was our key verse. A thief is only there to steal, kill, and destroy. I came so they may have real and eternal life, more and better life than we've ever dreamed of. Now, so the reason I like this passage for um, is because it talks about all these different parts about life. And he kind of gives us, Jesus gives us a realistic idea of what we can expect from life. Because he says, um, the thief is there to still kill and destroy. You know, examples of just all the bad things we were just thinking about in our life. He says, and I've come so that you can have real and eternal life. So I like to think of that real as a natural life, our everyday ordinary life. As in, you're walking out of, of service today and you have, you do something. You drive to the restaurant or you drive home and make dinner. There is a natural life that we all are living and Jesus said, and that's going to work, that's taking care of your kids, that's cleaning up the poop in the yard, that is trying to find the right apartment, trying to find a different job you like more, or something, or clean your toilet, or whatever. So there's, I, um, so Jesus is saying, I have come, and I um, plan to intervene and be involved in the natural and the eternal life. Now, there's basically two common interpretations for this scripture. One of the interpretations is like a spiritual warfare angle. So um, the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy, and we need to pray really hard about it, and we need to um, to avoid those attacks from the thief, which is a very, very good uh, thing to talk about, and there's other verses in the Bible that would substantiate that that component. But a lot of times that's what people focus on in this verse. The thief is coming to steal, and so you better go after him. Then the other part of this verse that people might tend to focus on is what I call more of like the prosperity angle angle to the verse. I've come to give you more and better life. Your life is going to be awesome. You're going to be rich. You're going to be smart. You're going to be popular. You're going to be president of the United States. You know what I'm saying? And so that's like the other angle that a lot of times we'll hear preached or talked about in a religious circle about this verse. But what I want to focus on is the, the component of, of Jesus and how he says, I'm going to give you eternal life and help you in your natural life. Now, if we want to talk about the meaning of life, most of the time in a, a religious area, we will talk about the eternal life meaning of life. 
What's the meaning of life? To know God and to glorify him. You know, the great commission, going into all the world, preach the gospel. That's the meaning of life. That's the eternal life. That is the same for all people. That's the same for us. That's for people in an island somewhere, people in Turkey where Walt is, whatever. It doesn't matter who you are. The eternal purpose of life is always going to be, the answer is always going to be to give God glory and to know him. But my question is, that's the meaning of life in general right but what about the meaning of life for a specific person's life at a specific moment so not life in this vague sense but something very real and concrete just like life's life's tasks are real and concrete just like you leave and you drive in your car or you walk to the bus stop and then you you know go decide where you're gonna go life has real and concrete meaning when you say life life is you know life it's like you have a baby or you try to get married or you go on youtube or whatever it's a it's a concrete kind of a thing and a lot of times we take this general meaning what you need to do is you need to go and know him and make him known to the earth and, and that is like a, like a, um, relatively abstract concept if we're trying to apply that to what our real life in Christ is supposed to look at. So instead of looking for, um, the relatively abstract or broad meaning of life, what about if we thought about everyone in here has his, his, his or her own specific vocation, or in other words, if you didn't exist, or you did something like commit suicide or just fall off the planet and do whatever you wanted, then your concrete assignment would not be fulfilled. It cannot be replicated by another person or repeated. Whatever task or whatever meaning God has given to your life has to be accomplished by you. It is specific and concrete to you. It's a specific meaning of life. Now, we all know our big meaning of life, but what would happen, you know, like, for example, you know, this guy right here in the second row, what would happen if you didn't, if you just went off on your own or you got in such despair and discouragement, you committed suicide or you ran away, you know, and, and, and dug yourself in a hole never to come out again. And so you did not fulfill or you didn't accomplish your specific individual meaning in life that only you can accomplish in that thing would not happen because he didn't do it because it's his specific unique purpose in life why god has created his meaning what is your meaning let me give you an example of this Uh, in the bible adam adam and eve right they had a specific meaning in life it was to procreate and fill the earth with people even when they had a, this, the devil stealing, killing, and destroying and intervening and having this major obstacle in their life, just like we have, where they sinned, ate the apple, the serpent, you know, steal, kill, and destroy stuff, they still accomplished their specific meaning in life, which was to procreate and fill the earth. Because last time I checked, there were plenty of people on the earth. Don't you think? I know there are plenty of people in my house, for example. All right, Mary, the mother of Jesus, like she's just a regular person going on about her business, you know, and she's a, she's a teenager and she's carrying on. And all of a sudden her individual purpose and meaning of life is revealed. She's going to carry the baby, right? Jesus. Now, did, did the angel say anything? And also what's your meaning of life to do is that you need to get a good haircut when you're 35 or you need to go to the right store to get the right braids and the right style. 
Right? Is that what it, the angel said? No. Her meaning and purpose in life was to carry, to get pregnant and carry the Messiah. That was her individual meaning of life. No one else in this room could have fulfilled that meaning of life. Now, Mary, she knew God. You know, she knew him and she was making him known. She was fulfilling that eternal purpose and meaning of life. But she had an individual purpose of life that, you know, Sam couldn't fulfill, thankfully. You know what I'm saying? All right. Solomon's job was to build a temple. The disciples were just regular, ordinary guys. They were like a janitor in an elementary school that's invisible, that you walk past back and forth and nobody knows their name. You know what I'm saying? It's like, and they just go to work every day and they sweep the floors every day and they just like do their thing every single day. That's what the shepherds were like. You know, they were just, they were just in there doing their job every day. All of a sudden, you know, the angels of skies open and so forth. And that was their specific meaning in of life was to go to Bethlehem, find Jesus in the manger, regular person, just like a regular person. Okay. How about the, um, the, um, Anna in the temple where she, the Bible says she was praying and fasting all day long, every day. And she was like 90 years old. And that's all she did. She just like praying fast every single day, all day, go, 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 go. Like that's, that's like, um, Oh, I can't think of something fast enough, so I won't do it, but just pray. And then all of a sudden what happens? Boom. At this one moment, she meets Jesus. She says, I've seen the Messiah. My work here is done. And that was like her purpose. Her meaning of life was just in that one instant. That's what happened. And she, um, she saw the Messiah. There's all so many examples of the blind man being healed where, where he's blind his whole life and then he gets healed and, and he says, why did this happen? And Jesus says, it is so that my glory can be revealed at this one instant, the blind man. So he's blind his whole life. That'd be like you being blind your whole entire life for one purpose of meaning so that you could be healed. So you live your whole life blank, right? That'd be like saying you live your whole entire life homeless or you live your whole entire life unemployed or you live your whole entire life, you know, with fibromyalgia or you live your whole, you see what I'm saying? And then at one moment, the meaning of life for that person is revealed and they accomplish their purpose and their meaning in life. You could, Peter's mother-in-law, she like had a, had a fever and then she got healed. And what did she do? She got up and made dinner. You know, that was what she had to do. She was, her job was to make dinner. Like many grandmothers that wear the same apron for like 25 years and they're kind of rotund in the middle section and they can make a mean spaghetti and meatballs or they can make a mean fried chicken or they can make a mean tortilla. You know what I'm saying? And that's what they do. That is what God has called them to do. That is their meaning in life. They don't have to do something else. That is their specific thing that God has called them in their meaning of life. Make that tortilla and just make it whenever somebody's hungry, which, you know, for your grandma, everybody is always hungry, right? So she's got a very full-time job feeding people 24-7, right? Um, there's the, it's like the poor woman in the Bible that gave two shekels. I like to think of it like um, that gave the shekels. It would be like... This would be another example of modern day meaning of life. It's like this lady that works at McDonald's for 20 years. And every single week she saves $5 out of her paycheck 
and she works every single, and she, all she is is this nameless, faceless person that works at McDonald's every single, every, you know, for 20 years, and every single week she's saving $5, $5, $5, $5. And then all of a sudden, um, there's, she comes to church one Sunday, and they say, we have this new ministry, good news for Ishmael, and it's to reach the Arab speaking, you know, the Arab world in Omaha. And she says this, is my meaning in life. And she takes all those $5 and it's been 20 years. So they've totaled up to $3,135. And she takes that $3,135 and she brings it and she earmarks it. And she says, this is for good musician. That's why I've worked at McDonald's for 20 years. That's a pretend story that hasn't really happened. I'm just like, I don't need to, do you understand what I mean? But there are people, there are stories like that, but I'm just, I'm just using it to give an illustration. The point is, is that she worked at McDonald's for 20 years. Do you understand what I'm saying? And she saved $5. You know, most of us that make $500 a week can't save $505 a week. You know what I'm saying? And we certainly don't have $3,125 saved up to give to good news for Ishmael, like out of nowhere, right? So anyway, I think that, um, you know, people in Mavlov might have not quite gotten it right. Because if you think about a person that doesn't have their health, doesn't have, like they're on their deathbed, or what they're thinking about, about on their deathbed is what's the color of the oxygen tank and what percentage of oxygen am I getting? What are they thinking about? They're thinking about, did I spend enough time with my kids? Am I going to go to heaven? Did I do the right thing? I need to apologize to my wife. That's what they're thinking about on their deathbed, right? They're thinking thinking meaning and purpose. They're thinking on their deathbed, they're thinking, did I do what I was supposed to do? That's what we're thinking. And it's not like this, whatever, it's not this, know him and make him known. It's, was I nice to my wife? Do I need to apologize to my son? Do I, you see what I'm saying? The meaning of life. Come on, somebody. So anyway, so of course, somebody that six wishes, wishes to be well. When we look at health, like health is the ultimate thing. It's like to be, you know, an Olympic athlete and be really thin and health and be really healthy in every way. And, but really health is a means to an end. Being healthy allows us or facilitates us to be able to accomplish our personal meaning for life. So we don't die prematurely or, you know, commit suicide or something like that. In other words, if you have a mental illness, you want to be healed from a mental illness. But the primary reason isn't, I just want to be healed from a mental illness for the sake of being healed from the mental illness. No, you want to be healed from the mental illness because you want to be able to accomplish what you are called to do. I want to be able to get out of bed and take care of my children. I want to be able to keep a job, right? Right. So health isn't the end. Health is a means to the end. The, uh, a quote from Nietzsche says, he who has a why to live for can bear almost any how. If you have a why to live for, you can bear almost any how. If you have a why to your life, it does not matter what the enemy steals kills and destroys in your life because your why is much larger than your how. If a person is called to be a janitor in an elementary school, you think if somebody offends him and some kid is like a punk and says something rude to them, do you think that, um, do you think that that is going to be enough if that's what he's called to do to stop him from being a janitor? 
If he get, if he breaks his toe, if he has knee surgery, do you think he's going to come back? Probably. That health isn't going to stop him. You see what I'm saying? If we understand the why, then we, and some people that have, have been in poverty, for example, having a job and earning money is the why. I don't want my kids to live in poverty like I lived, right? And so you will go to McDonald's every single day for the rest of your life so your kids learn how to work and so that your kids don't have to work in McDonald's every day for the rest of their life. Somebody say, come on. So you deal with the how because of the why. You see? So if we can't find meaning in our suffering or in our lives, we are in a bad situation. You know, people that have in history have experienced extreme suffering, like the Holocaust or like being being prisoners of war in Vietnam or something like that, that have just experienced extreme hardship or somebody like in the sex trade or a girl that is locked up in some house by some, you know, weirdo and raped and has children and abortions and, you know, for 15 years, you know, and you think, how does a person live through something like that? I mean, when I think about the Holocaust, I think there is no way I would have made it. You know, even I would have just stood in front of a gun or something, or I would have just died of a broken spirit. Like some people did in the Holocaust. They just died. You know, because they were just broken, the amount of suffering. And so if you can't find meaning and you're in these situations, then it's the ultimate hopelessness. So you think about all these things, African-American slavery, same type of thing. And you see different results, just like POWs. You might see some people that turn out like Lieutenant Dan, you know, and Forrest Gump, full of addiction, anger, you know, can't work or anything like that. And then you have, you know, like John McCain or somebody that tries to contribute to society and all this kind of stuff. They're in the same, they're in the same situation. And people have responded completely different ways. Same with the Holocaust. Some people like just died of a broken heart and they had no will to live, nothing to live for this endless torture and, you know, horrible atrocity against humanity. And, and they just can't make it. And other people, I mean, the number of doctors, attorneys, you know, psychiatrists, all kinds of stuff that came out of people in the concentration camps is astronomical. It's like they came out of those concentration camps ready to bust a move. You know, it's like they use those eight, 10, whatever years to figure out what I'm going to do when I get out of this place. Right? Same type of thing with, with slavery. You see different responses we have to the thief still and killing and destroying. Every single one of us has our own response that we've had in our lives to those things that have happened in our lives. The, the stealing, killing, some we might do real well with, others we just crash and burn and, you know, can barely, barely handle it. But when you think about it, steal, kill, and destroy are very strong words. To overcome stealing, killing, destroying, that is a miracle. For people to survive slavery, to survive the Holocaust, to survive being prisoners of war or things like that, I mean, that is amazing, the will to live in a human being. But I I would argue that those people that do, they have a meaning in life. 
There's a story. I had a little thing in my pocket that was a verse from the Bible, and I just read that every day for, you know, 15 years or something like that, you know. I put something together, and we would sing a hymn at night, and we would whatever, you know, help one another. That's So you have to have this fundamental change in your attitude towards life because of otherwise the power on earth will take it from you. So you have to take what you've experienced, these hardships and stuff in your life, and you have to, and you have to realize that nothing can take that real and eternal life from you if you don't let it. The thief is just over here stealing, here destroying, whatever. Your meaning and your purpose in life actually might be facilitated. Now, don't kick me out of the church club here. Your meaning and purpose of life might actually be facilitated by your suffering. God might actually take those things. You might actually have your meaning and purpose because you got fired from your job. That might have been the best thing that ever happened to you. Right? Think about your meaning and purpose. And if you didn't get fired from your job, then you'd never end up doing this other thing. And then you wouldn't realize. And then you could have missed the whole meaning and purpose of your life. That that thing that was stolen and um, taken from you actually facilitated what is your meaning or purpose in life. So he who has a why to live for can bear almost any how. What are the hows in your life? The things that have happened stealing, killing, and destroying the hard, difficult things that may be facilitating the why in your life. What happened in Sudan, having to leave Sudan? That is a, that is a how in Sarah's life. But what is the why? Because she left Sudan. What is God's greater purpose for the why in her life? The unique meaning and purpose that God created Sarah for that no one else can accomplish in God's kingdom other than her. And because she's sitting here right now and, and, God, and, and the circumstances in her life that led her to this point aren't pleasant and easy. And not a single one of us in here would want to live through them ourselves. Now, here's an example of finding meaning in suffering. Um, because, you know, it's not like, oh, I just, everything bad, I want to love it. I mean, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about finding meaning and purpose in our suffering. Here's an example. Jesus is an example of having meaning and purpose in his suffering. What was Jesus's purpose? What was the what? He was the meaning of Jesus's life. It was to get crucified, like make it possible for all of us to know him, all of us to have eternal life, all of us to go to heaven. What happened in, in that process of Jesus fulfilling the purpose of his life? A lot of suffering. Would anybody like to go through what he went through in terms of suffering? I don't want to. I know that. What about, what about Mary Magdalene? Promiscuous life, sleeping around, you know, who knows what, venereal disease and everything else like that. But ends up, God, God uses that process that she ends up meeting Jesus. It changes her life and she ends up accomplishing something in her life because of that having happened. Had that not happened, she would not have, um, she would have probably not intervened with Jesus and what she, how she ended up seeing people and whatever God had for her was probably different. Had that not happened, there was meaning in that pain and suffering she had in her life and she had a greater 
meaning and purpose in her life in that suffering. So if we can give concrete meaning to the life we share, to know God and make him known, we don't have to wallow around in the abstract meaning. Why does this terrible thing happen to me? Why do I feel so bad today? Why do I always have a temperature? Why is my boss so mean? Why I don't want to go to work? Why am I so tired? Why don't I have a bigger apartment, right? With this abstract, this abstract, um, this abstract view of the meaning of who we are in our existence creates all this disillusionment, despair. I don't think God really exists. I lost my job. How could God even be real? And I have this hangnail that won't heal and so forth. And you know, how could God even allow that to happen to me? You know, that sort of thing. And so, but when we have a greater meaning, all of these things are just things that happen in our life that shape us, that make us more patient, that make us, you know, you get an idea of being changed over the course of time. If you could put the picture up of my uncle. So Here's an example. This is my uncle. He was a chaplain in Vietnam and, um, he, he, um, he's the first of some of God chaplain to ever be killed in the line of duty. He was killed in less than a year after he was in Vietnam. You can move to the next slide. And he had his platoon. He made a choice. Chaplains don't have to go into combat. He made a choice to go into combat. He had three young children back at home, and he made the choice to go into combat. And within just a few months of him being in combat, he and his entire platoon were bombed to pieces and never made it out. Now, which was very tragic. And and um, his son was so angry at him, you know, willfully putting himself in the line of danger, his son actually kicked his casket at the funeral. I mean, that is brutal. You know what I'm saying? And, and these are my cousins. And still to this day, um, all, none of my cousins are serving the Lord. They're very bitter uh, at their dad for doing this, right? But... Prior to being a chaplain, he was had to go to graduate school. You have to have a master's degree to be a chaplain in the military. And so he went to graduate school, and he got randomly assigned a roommate. And that roommate was um, not good in school. I don't know if he had dyslexia or if he just had a learning disability or something like that, but he was not surviving in school and was going to flunk out of school. And my uncle helped him. And this guy would say, who's alive to this day, would say that my uncle's responsible for him graduating from college because he never would have made it. And he was just randomly assigned. Well, that guy ended up becoming a missionary to Afghanistan and is still there and has burial plots in Afghanistan. He and his wife have gone to, went to Afghanistan and have lived there their entire life. So the process of my uncle's, this is part of his journey, there was this extreme suffering. There's this extreme suffering and a huge, incredible cost. But on the other side, there was this meaning of life for this guy that was going to go and be buried in Afghanistan long before it was cool to be a missionary in the 1040 window. You know what I'm saying? And that's what happened with my uncle Phil and the worship team can come. So if suffering can overtake meaning. So I want you to think about or if suffering is overtaking the meaning in your life or if the meaning is overtaking the suffering in your life. Which is winning out? Jesus said the thief is going to be there to steal, kill, and destroy and you're going to have some bad things happen in your life. And I would never lie to you and say that that weren't the case. 
But if so bad things do happen, but the question is, are those bad things shaping your ultimate meaning and purpose in your life? Think about the bad things that have happened, the different suffering kind of things, you know, job, divorce, money, uh, difficulty with immigration, separation of your family with immigration, um, rape, uh, divorce, infidelity, um, uh, difficult health situations, all these suffering things. And, and my question is, are those things overshadowing? Is the thief steal, killing, and destroying, actually stealing, killing, and destroying God's meaning for your individual life? Your individual life. I can't stress that enough. I am not talking about this group as a whole. I, I'm, this message is not for the group. This, is, this message is for every single individual in this room, as an individual. What is the purpose? It might mean, your purpose might be to cook food for your family every day because something is going to happen with your kids and they're going to do something for God or whatever. And that could be your meaning in life. You don't have to be a missionary. You just have to do what you are uniquely called to do what are you unique what is your unique meaning in life that will not get accomplished if you check out what would that thing be anybody who understands the why can survive the how is your how overshadowing your why what if you take a step back what if you take a step back and you just don't worry about those hows, all that suffering, the thief killing, killing and destroying, not giving the enemy any more credit than he deserves. It's like, he's going to do that. Bad things are going to happen. You know what I'm saying? It's going to happen. The question is, is your greater meaning and purpose in your life going to power through that? If you were in the Holocaust, if you were uh, in Vietnam, would your greater meaning power through that? I need to get home and get to my children because my children need the money or something like that. Or because God saved me here in Vietnam and I want to go back and tell my friends or my child or something like that. If we think, if you think like my first question I asked you at the beginning of this message, how are you different right now? Than you were before you know early in your life and you're different now what if the way you are right now is totally God's intention for you to be the launching point of what his meaning for your unique life is because God is able to bring real and eternal life a more and better life than you could ever ask or imagine, even in the context of the thief stealing, killing, and destroying over there. Jesus is not concerned about any of that. He just says, be aware of it. Be aware of it. When those things happen, be aware of it. The enemy wants to take you down. He wants to steal your stuff. He wants to snub his nose at you. He wants to steal your happiness. He wants to steal your health. All those kinds of things, and that's what he wants to do. But Jesus said, that's the, but I have come to give you real and eternal life. I have come to give you a specific meaning.
and purpose for your life. I want us. Um, I I want us to pray. I don't see a lot of. I'm going to do something weird. I haven't done this in any service before or anything like that. But what I want us to do is I want us to stand up. And if you're, and everybody just stay in your seats. You know, I mean, not seated, but stay right where you are. And if, and we're going to begin to sing this song, Lord, you are good. And we're going to begin to think, how has God been good to us? Not God, what has the enemy taken from us, but what has God, how has God been good to us? And then what I, while you're doing that, I want the altar workers, if you are a leader at Real this weekend, I just want you to walk down the aisles back and forth and to begin praying, Sarah, begin praying for people's meaning and purpose in their individual life. You don't need to touch anybody if you don't want to. If you feel like you can just lay your hand on them very briefly. Uh, Pastor Raphael, I want you guys to do that right now. Pastor, you go ahead. Please do that. Please do that. Please do that, Sonia. And just stay in your seats. So you begin just singing the song, focusing on how good God is. And then we're just going to begin praying for you, for your individual meaning and purpose in life. Come on, altar workers. Get moving and grooving. If you're an altar worker or leader in any ministry, any ministry, David, Lisa, come on. We need, I want you just to, Katie, you know, Dr. Dada, Schlappe, please. Um, just anybody just begin just begin praying and interceding for everybody in these rows and just begin praying for their meaning and purpose in life and then you and your aisle you can just begin singing this song leaders please step out please step out I want you to pray for their specific meaning for their individual life You can just close your eyes. You don't have to worry about these other people. If you're in the rows, just close your eyes and raise your hands. My delight. Come on, sing it out. Your kindness. Your kindness. This is what he's done for you. Come on. Your goodness draws me.
I don't need to see it, but I trust you, oh God. Thank you, oh God. I thank you, God, for every individual here. I thank you for the meaning and purpose you have for them. I thank you for preserving their life up to this point. I thank you that you know what their future has ordained for them. I thank you that you want to do something for them. God, thank you for being so good to us. Just begin to thank God for bringing you through the suffering of your life. For bringing you through that suffering. Say thank you, God, for bringing that suffering to me. Thank you for bringing us to God.
God, we give ourselves to you. Everybody here, that if in your mind you're in agreement with me, then I'm praying for you. God, we put ourselves in your hands. We don't know what that will look like. We don't know if that means working at McDonald's or going to Afghanistan or whatever. to tell you that in his um, in his high school years he was actually a real player and actually there was a it was quite scandalous actually because he was a minor and he had an affair um, in high school with somebody that was not a minor and there's a, he she actually got pregnant and he actually got kicked out of high school and all this kind of stuff and this was the stuff that was happening in the background of his life leading up to this point where he ended up becoming a chaplain and basically mentoring one of the most faithful, powerful missionaries in the Middle East. And this is the guy. And that's what happened leading up in his life. Some pretty tough stuff, you know. And um, but I, mean, I forgot to mention that, so I just wanted to mention it. So if that's you, and you've had a lot of tough stuff, then you're in the same company as Jesus Christ, my Uncle Phil, you know, basically every person in the Bible, you know. So so you're in really good company and none of that stuff ended up preventing people from their meaning in life that God had called them to. So take courage and take hope because God does have that for your life and he's going to help you whether it's making a tortilla or whether it's becoming president of the United States. It doesn't matter. All that matters is that you do what you specifically, your meaning in life designed by God is. And then you're a winner. And then you're a winner. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.